have a sense of trembling when I do what's happening now. I don't want to waste your time, and I want the Lord to be exalted. I want to welcome everyone this morning. We have a number of visitors who are very appreciative of your presence and pray that today will be a profitable one in your walk with the Lord. I'm going to, uh, we're going to break tradition a little bit this morning. I'm going to have a traditional opening. Uh, when the message is concluded, I'm going to ask Brother Cephas to come up and we have a few things to share with this congregation for a closing. I think the first thing I want to do is we will go to prayer shortly and I'm going to ask for prayer requests or praise reports. I'm gonna suggest we remember Brother Jerry. It's been a long time since he's been here and he may not get back and he feels it. Good man. And so love for Jerry, let's remember him. I'm gonna call on Brother Lauren to pray when we get there. You know, I, I wanna restate what I've said before. We always call on someone to pray and if we have a whole list of prayer requests, um, I don't think it's necessarily the responsibility of the one doing the public praying to remember every request. But there's enough of us here that we all ought to be able to be praying for individual things. So what are your requests this morning? Yes. Okay, comes Wednesday night starting the revival. Thank you for Brant. Yes. Just remember the folks out in Iowa, all the damage out there and the Krista? Kristen. Kristen, thank you. Mike and Sue Ann's son, Terry and Becky. Yes. You know, we're commanded to remember to pray for those in authority over us. It's real easy to be critical, but we're to pray for their souls, regardless of their political positions and so forth. Anyone else? Brother Lauren, will you lead us in prayer? My sin, oh, the joy of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And God's people said, Amen. I'm not sure this morning. Uh, in fact, I got a lot of questions this morning. 
I'm not sure this morning who the message is for. Maybe it was just for me to learn, and you're going to have to bear with me. But I suspect in my spirit there is someone who is in here this morning who is wavering in their faith. Don't look like it. Can't see it. But in the quietness of your own emotions and feelings, there are times when you're not really sure. You just got some doubts. Maybe the tempter is there and you just feel like I could just walk away from it. This is too hard. Maybe we all have those thoughts at times. I don't know. Turn your Bibles to the 13th chapter of the book of Luke, please. And what I want to do this morning is talk about what seems to me be found in the Word of God is the answer to a weak faith. Maybe that's the reason why this message, and it's going to be real simple. It's just one word. It's called repentance. I've never really stopped and studied repentance. I never have. And I listened to a message by Derek Prince, and some of the thoughts I have today comes out of that message, and it renewed my interest. And so that's where we're going to be this morning. And I want to read the first five verses of Luke 13. There were some that were present at that season, some that told him, this is Jesus, of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered, I want to stop there. Apparently what had happened, um, there were some Jewish people that went into the synagogue, that went into worship, and they, there was blood sacrifice, as you all know. And Herod, for whatever reason, whether he deemed them zealots, or I don't know the story on that, but he sent soldiers in and slew them while they were sacrificing, and their own blood was mingled with the animals. Totally, totally repulsive to the Jewish people. It was the ultimate. And so that's partly the reason that they so hated the Romans. And so um, they're telling Jesus about that. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, you shall all likewise perish. Or those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that would dwell in Jerusalem? I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Apparently they were Jewish, religious people who were sacrificing. And they were killed. Apparently there was a tower which is beyond the edge of Jerusalem and it fell and there were 18 that were slain. And in the Jewish mind they were saying, well, they must have been bad people or God would have never let that happen to them. You ever hear that today? Something really bad happened to somebody, well, that's God's judgment. And Jesus says, you're missing the whole point. He comes to them and he says, unless you repent, you are going to perish just like they did, except the word perish here means an eternal banishment. 
this morning. Is it possible that we look around and we think the bad things that are happening are because people doing bad things? Well, there's some truth in that. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus is speaking to you and me, and he tells us, unless I repent, unless you repent, it's going to be worse than that, or whatever it is. You suppose the people that died in 9-11 were worse than the rest of us? No. I say no. But unless we repent, our death will be worse. I probably need to define repentance before we go any farther. In the Old Testament, which of course is written in Hebrew, it means to turn around 180 degrees. In the New Testament, which is Greek, it means to change our mind. It means we think different. It means that we become a different mental pattern people. It means that we make decisions on life that are totally different than they would have been without him. What's interesting is, we're going to get to this, that repentance always comes with faith and with salvation. And in almost every case in the word of God, repentance is mentioned first, is preeminent. The other thing I want to establish, we're not talking about an emotion. We, we have a revival coming starting Wednesday night. I hope, hope you come, bring friends, the whole thing. And God bless our brother is going to come. And I hope it moves us, man. I hope the Holy Spirit absolutely gets a full grip on us. I am not talking about emotions. Repentance is not an emotion. If it is, we're in trouble. Because Brother Brant will come and he'll get me all worked up and I'll repent. And pretty soon Brant goes home and it dies. Repentance is a will, a decision of the will. It doesn't make any difference if you're 16 or 86. The decision has to be that I will repent and I will serve the Lord. And we're going to talk about that some more. So I don't know who you are this morning. But I'm going to suggest to you if your faith is wavering, maybe there's an area that needs repentance in our life. I'm speaking to the church. Obviously to the unbeliever it's there. That's obvious. But it's not just them. It's us. Let's go to James. I'm going to come back to this thought in a minute, but I want to go to James just for a little bit. And I want to go to the first chapter of James. And I want to read, um, start reading. I guess I'll just start in the fifth verse. It's kind of hard to know where to start here. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not and shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Anybody have a wavering faith this morning? 
For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven in the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Do you know what that means? You know what a double-minded person is? It's someone who has never fully changed their mind. Has never fully said, I will be obedient to you, O Lord. I will look at your word and whatever it says, that's exactly what I will do. I don't have to understand it. Doesn't have to make sense to me. Doesn't have to fit my culture. But I repent. And I come to you. And you are Lord. Maybe. Maybe there's somebody that's. You really. You are a believer. You've been baptized. You came, really the reason you came and confessed the Lord and were baptized is because you wanted fire insurance. I don't want to go to hell. None of us do. <laughs> the problem is, there's a part of us that is still the world. We haven't made that 180 degree turn. We haven't fully changed our mind. There's a little bit of me that will not let go. And Jesus is not Lord of everything. I think there's one thing that is really manifest when we are no longer a double-minded man or woman. We do not say, I wonder what's in it for me. But rather we say, Lord, show me what pleases you. You are Lord. Well, I want to, uh, I really want to get into repentance. Let's go to the first chapter of Mark. And this is where I want to start this morning. And what I want to do is follow in the New Testament how the thought of repentance is presented. And I'd never seen this before. But we'll start out in Mark 1. And um, I'll start with the fourth verse. And we're talking about John the Baptist. And John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. So when Jesus came the first time and the Messiah was coming, he sent a forerunner to pave the way so that when the Holy Spirit is revealed and brought to them, the Holy Spirit would find hearts that are open to him. And what's the first thing he says to his own people, these are the Jewish people here, What's he say? Repent. That's the first thing he says. Turn around. And he's telling us here really, really very simple, I think. In my mind at least. Philip, change your mind. 
and make him Lord. And so here he comes. And, he, and John the Baptist come and he's preparing the way for the Messiah. The only way that our, that our hearts are able to receive him is if we repent. And if we do not fully repent, brother and sister, I am personally convinced, and you can think about this for yourself, we will struggle with our faith. We will. Let's go into the 15th verse of this chapter, Mark. And now Jesus has come. Remember, uh, John the Baptist was the forerunner to prepare the way, and he said, repent. So Jesus is now ready to begin his public ministry. And he's beginning. And we're going to see what he says when he starts his public ministry. Okay, let's look at the 15th verse. Um, let's start in the 14th. Now, after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. Do you know that is the order of salvation almost entirely through the scripture? Repent. And I'm going I'm to suggest something to you, and you can think about this too. I'm going to give you several things to think about, pray about. I really believe that I won't even repent unless the Spirit of God knock on my heart's door to begin with. I'm too stubborn. I'm too proud. I'm too arrogant. And so when that Spirit comes, and a soul has to answer to it, and when they repent, have you ever noticed, when someone finally is converted and they give up, a lot of times they'll weep. They'll confess their sin. You don't have to ask them. It pours out. Repentance is there. The power of God is there. <coughs> if you want to pray something for an unbeliever, pray that they will repent and the Spirit of God will call them. And then it says, and believe. The reason we struggle with our faith is because we haven't fully repented and our belief, our faith is weak. Lord, help us. I'm not condemning anybody here this morning. I think you understand that. This is a cry to live the gospel in full. Well, I, I, I don't know how much to stay on current events. You know me, I, I, I've always liked history and I like current events and I like all that stuff. And we come to church and everybody talks about it. It's in the opening and the whole thing. We just can't leave it alone because it's where we are. But I was, I was meditating on this idea of, of repentance and I got to thinking about our situation today exactly where we are. And I thought, what does it look like when a society has completely lost its ability to repent? Well, whoa, that is where we are. And I want to show you five things. I, I wrote them down so they're not gospel. Again, be thinking, be meditating, be on it. Repentance is a lifestyle. By the way, I didn't say this either. Repentance is not just a one-time event. We live a life of repentance. We live a life that says, Lord, I will do it your way. I feel like going this way, but I know that's not what your word says. I'm going to go that way. I repent. I even have that feeling, but I will follow you. We live a life of repentance. 
Our society is demonstrating a lack of it. Here's five things. Number one, do not take responsibility or personal accountability. When is the last time in the society we're in, I don't care if it's the education system, the political system, the military system, the financial system, it doesn't make any difference what you want to look at. When's the last time you heard somebody with authority and power have enough grace and enough humility to say it's my fault? I'm sorry. Somebody that's in the limelight. Doesn't happen, does it? Very, very rare. Very rare. Number two, they blame others for nearly everything. Have you, have you noticed it? And you know what? This is one of the reasons I'm more and more and more getting, uh, not, I don't even want in the, in the political arena. Because even the ones that I tend to agree with and side with and understand and the whole thing, you know what they do? They spend their whole time blaming the other side. <sighs> Dear Lord, where's the repentance in that? If everything that goes wrong is somebody else's fault, and if you're in a little bit of guilty, well, you just hire a good lawyer, right? That's not where we belong. That's not a repentant spirit. Number three, rarely, if ever, do they make a genuine acknowledgement. They'll take the credit if it goes good, but if it doesn't go good, they never make an acknowledgement. When have we seen that? Historically, you look at this nation, and there were times in the past these things happened. I know it's always been hard. It's hard for all of us. But today, number four, they frequently not only accuse others, but they falsely accuse others. All you got to do is watch the daily news. The accusations just flow. You don't even know what the truth is. It's such a mess. Somebody's got to be false accusing somebody. Has to be. Number five, when they are confronted with their error, they will denigrate or condemn the accuser. See it over and over. I'm not really trying to talk this morning politically. What I'm trying to say is those of us who live a repentant life before the Lord have to live an entirely different way. All of us do. There are no exceptions. Let's go to Luke 24. So, <clears throat> what we've read so far has been John the Baptist before Jesus came and he prepared the way and he said, repent. Jesus starts his ministry and he says, repent. Well, what happens after the resurrection? Be and I think this is important because if we think about it, um, the, the whole time until Jesus died on the cross, all of the sins had to be given by the sacrifice of animals. And all the Old Testament and everything bore testimony to that. And so we get to the New Testament, and then the perfect sacrifice is offered, and we no longer have to slaughter all those animals. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We got it easy. We got a piece of cake. But my question is, what does the lamb that was slain, what does that lamb say? 
What is the message of the Lamb that paid the penalty for all of us? He might have something to say to us and we would know exactly what to do, right? Well, let's look and see what he says. Verses 46. And he said unto them, <coughs> well, I want to start 45th verse. This is Jesus. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. I like that. And he said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Do you notice the first thing he said? What is the church to be teaching? Brother and sister, we are to be teaching repentance towards God. That's the cry. You know, sometimes I get a little bit frustrated. Because it's, it is truth, but... I don't seem to be imbalanced to me. What I'm talking about is just come as you are. God loves you. Everything's fine. It's been paid for at the cross. Super. Come on in. You know what the lamb of the slain said? You tell them to repent before they believe. Do we need to repent? God help us. This is the message that needs to go out. Does our society need to repent? In the situation that they're in and the way we're living, I don't care if they're conservative or whatever they are, whatever they're doing. How are they ever going to be converted until they repent? And so Jesus said, repent for the remission of sin. There's a, there's a blog, maybe some of you have seen it, called Living Waters. And this fellow... He likes to go into public places, Southern California mainly. And uh, he likes to go where the young people are. He go on the beaches, anywhere. And one of the things he did, he does, is to ask them if they've ever committed sin. And he starts there. And you know what? It's kind of a unique approach. We don't do that very often. I think he's on to something. Jesus said, we have to see our sin. You know, you all know this. The first situation to fix a problem is to acknowledge the problem and to recognize it. And so if we don't understand how we stand before God, how we're not going to repent. He's going to be very pleased to have me. I'm a pretty good guy. Uh-uh. Don't think so. Well, maybe it just stopped with Jesus. He told his, told his immediate disciples and apostles, you, you go out and preach repentance, and that's been fulfilled, right? Let's go to Acts, the second chapter. And we're going to see what happened with those apostles when the Holy Spirit of God came at Pentecost. And we're going to pick up part of Peter's message at Pentecost. Starting the 36th verse. And Paul, or Peter had preached a powerful, powerful message and he had proved to them that they were guilty before God. And 36 verses said, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both, both Lord and Christ. 
Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? I must stop there just a minute. This is a beautiful, beautiful question. I suddenly realize I am not right with God and I say, Lord, what do you want me to do? It's the Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road. It's my life. It's your life. There has to come a point where the Spirit of God and we stop and we say, Lord, what we have me to do? I'm guilty. That's me. That's me. And then Peter, and remember this is, Peter was the spokesman for the apostles, and he was probably the lead spokesman for the church at this point. And it was, this is the first message after the coming of the Holy Spirit. This is the first message the Holy Spirit gave Peter. And fifth, the 38th verse, and he says, And Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The first thing he told them is to repent. Amazing. 17th chapter of the book of Acts. Acts 17. One of the things that really uh, frustrates me today is the number of people who are highly trained intellectual elites that are refuting the gospel publicly. Many of them are higher education circles, political circles, whatever they are, positions of power. And to them, the gospel is just an old fairy tale for old people that don't understand nothing. And it's just, just not working. And they, they're, they're educated. They, they know. And if you want to get in an argument with them, buddy, they know how to argue. They're good at it. It's what they're paid to do. And I just want you to see, because this is what we have here. Paul's on Mars Hill. And he's talking to the most educated people in the Greek culture. And notice what he says in verse 30. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. When the Holy Spirit works, it doesn't make any difference who the person is, or their intellectual capacity, their IQ, or any of that. The cry of the church and the teaching of the church must be repentance. The whole world needs it. It's the only thing that's going to save this culture. It's the only thing that will save our souls. Is it the Spirit of God get a grip on us and we fall down broken before Him and say, I am that sinner, I repent. I turn around, I'll follow you, Lord. What a call. What a call. Well, 
I said, I said Peter, didn't I? I met Apostle Paul mate, was here. Um, let's go on to Acts 20. <clears throat> Verse 20 and 21. And Paul is getting ready to depart from the Ephesian elders. It's very emotional. And by the way, I said earlier that um, repentance is not emotion. There is emotion in repentance. <laughs> I need to clarify that. There is emotion in it. But it is a mind decision that is the rock behind it. And so he is, Paul is before these Ephesian elders and he's getting ready to leave and he knows he'll never see them again on this earth. And uh, it says they wept, fell on his, kissed him. They loved him. And I want you to see what it says I'll start in the 20th verse of Acts 20, and this is Paul talking to them. And how I kept nothing back that was profitable unto you. Uh, apparently, he gave them the complete truth. Didn't hold anything back at all. Uh, we need to do that, that's good. But have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. And by the way, this is a bunny trail, but this verse, I do not discredit the meetings of families or neighbors or worship services or whatever that are simply held in your houses. There's a place for that. There's a place for public worship too, obviously, but there's a place for that. Anyway, 21st verse, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. So what did he say to him? I told you the whole thing. You know the whole package. I've given you everything the Lord gave me. And what's the first thing he mentions? Repentance. You suppose today we have a world that needs to hear repentance? I'm just going to put some practical walking shoes on this for a little bit, and then we're going to close and give Cephas some time. I wonder how many of us are slaves to our emotions, our feelings. If I feel good, I think I'm doing pretty good. If I feel lonely, I am lonely. If I feel defeated, I am defeated. Emotions become my slave master. But repentance is a God-given victory over my feelings. And this is a statement I'd like to give you. I will be faithful even when I don't feel like it or even when I don't understand. That is repentance. Feelings are affected by whatever standards are around me, be they social, pleasure, 
religious traditions. Uh, anyone here? Anyone here? So married to a tradition of marriage, I'm talking about non-scriptural stuff, that when we broke from it, we were emotional mess. Think about that. That's a huge red flag. These must not be my guiding light. My guiding light must be God's standard. I'm going to close with one more thought. And I know I've used it myself, not trying to condemn anyone or anything. I've used this statement. But we've said to people, just come as you are. I got to think about that one day. Why else can you come? I can't come to somebody else. That doesn't even hardly make sense. Come as you are. That's who I am. You know what the point of the gospel is? It isn't come as you are so you'll feel good. It's come as you are so you'll repent. And so we'll buy the gospel. We'll believe it. I'm going to stop there. There's anybody here this morning? I don't know who you are. I have no idea. I don't have anything. I don't have anything or any situation in mind. There's anyone here this morning, and your faith is. There's times when you just barely hanging on. I hope I hear a good enough sermon next Sunday that I, I, I do better. You're just wavering. I'm going to ask you to look into the recesses of your heart and say, Dear Lord, I give it to you. Whatever it is that's holding me back, I give it to you. You are the Lord. Josephus. I think I'm just going to call you up and we'll have a hymn then later. Come on up. And, uh, and we'll have a prayer later. And I just want to uh, just hold on here. I want to read one verse so that they understand you're fine. 